Hello and welcome to the sixth and final part of this podcast series on automation from Capgemini. Well, we've managed to get right to the last episode without focusing too much on the pandemic that has paralysed the planet for the last two years or so. Of course, the COVID-19 crisis has significantly disrupted businesses globally. Indeed, one Capgemini report shows that one in 10 organisations fear that their business will not be able to overcome it. And more than a third believe that it will take more than 12 months for revenues to stabilise. What we do know is that automation in some shape or form has been used to help businesses survive the COVID impact and potentially, more importantly, prepare for a post-pandemic landscape. I'm Brian Doherty and this is Automation Station, a series of six podcasts about, yes, you guessed it, automation. For this final episode, I am joined by two guests who will take on the unenviable task of predicting the future, or to be less flippant, to define what work life will be like going forward, and to review what we have learned about automation in the past two years or so. The first episode of this podcast featured Pooja Haratkar. Capgemini's Head of Group Industrialization and Automation. So I think it is only fitting that Pooja should return for our final episode too. Pooja has been with Capgemini for more than 18 years and has worked across many industry sectors, regions and disciplines. She has expertise in pre-sales, organisation design, delivery and transformations and has been instrumental in providing strategy and thought leadership for Capgemini's applications development and maintenance offerings and technology office setup. Pooja, you're very welcome. Thank you, Brian. As we continue uh, to emerge out of the pandemic, I look forward to this discussion and to give my insights on how we fared during the pandemic on the automation and how we look at it as we move into the future. Thanks, Pooja. I'm delighted to say that we are also joined by Brad Borkin. Brad is an esteemed author and lecturer, as well as a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society. His first book, When Your Life Depends on It, is listed in the top 100 best decision-making books of all time. From an IT professional perspective, Brad had a long career at Oracle and SAP. In a second book, which was recently published called Audacious Goals, Remarkable Results, Brad notes that one should, and I quote, look at every challenge from an engineering, political and explorer's point of view, all at the same time. And Brad, I'm I'm wondering if that advice could guide business leaders as we figure the way forward in a post-pandemic world. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be part of this discussion. As an author, I've focused on the extraordinary historical people, people like the great explorers, Roald Amundsen and Ernest Shackleton, the great Victorian engineer, Isambard Kingdom Brunel, and people like Theodore Roosevelt, who was instrumental in the world-changing endeavor of building the Panama Canal. So my interest and the focus of my writing is what today's CEOs and executives can learn from these great leaders of the past to make better business decisions in the future. And I think there are a lot of parallels that can be drawn from the eras that they lived in to our modern times. For example, in the early 1900s, you had the start of of a very technologically advanced society, but their technology was telephones and electricity and cars and airplanes. And we have different sort of technology today that we're going to talk about, but it's that viewpoint that they brought to their work, that the viewpoint was while they had three separate professions, explorer, engineer, and a statesman, what they brought to it was that mindset of being 
looking at problems from the point of view of all three of those things, as we discussed, that they were an explorer and engineer and a statesman all at the same time. And that mindset can be useful when we're trying to solve the problems of today. Thanks, Brad. Well, let's start by talking about what Pooja mentioned earlier, they're called um, the new normal. Pooja, we know that digital-ready organisations have been able to respond better to the pandemic than those that have lagged. So as we seem to be emerging, as you say, from this global crisis, what have businesses got to do to shape this new normal? So as we emerge out of the new normal and we continue to... um, uh, excel in what we need to do better in our business. We need to look at digital transformations and organizations are doing that for the last two years, investing a lot on digital transformation, investing a lot on driving new ways of interaction, sharing information, engaging and decision making with different and diverse stakeholders. Stakeholders could be your employees, could be your clients and could be the executive management. So there there are different ways of interaction, there are different ways of engaging and there are different ways of using the um, IT systems. It's pretty different than the way it was before the pandemic started and that is why we call it the new. There are five characteristics of the new normal business and I go one by one on those. Organizations are using remote workforce for white collar uh, workforce. Digitization as a competitive advantage and that makes you or sets you apart from your competition the the pace at which you do digitization so digitization it also matters at what pace you digitize and are you ready at the point in time you need to be ready the third one is focus on automation which is like using the tools available tools in the market the focus on robotics rpa uh, ai then the fourth one is organizations using remote workforce for field staff and blue collared workforce using remote workforce also needs the enablement or the right it enablement for them the right process enablement for them and the hr policy for them and that also comes under the new novel setup and all this needs also a digital transformation behind the back of it to make it successful. Production shifting to near show locations again this needs a lot of automation so all in all if I have to summarize the new normal it's all about digital transformation it's all about automation and could be applied to different kinds of use cases. And and as you say, Pooja, we have seen um, an increase in investment from businesses in, you know, in deploying those five characteristics. And indeed, there have been reports from media and analysts saying that automation deployment has accelerated during the pandemic. Industry analyst Forrester, for example, in one report says that the pandemic has made automation what they call a boardroom imperative. What is and, and indeed what should be the prevailing mindset in the boardroom today? Well, I agree with Forrester's report that automation is the key. And boardrooms around the the world are acutely aware that their relationship with the consumer has changed actually quite dramatically in just a few years. One of the most interesting changes that boardrooms can use to their advantage is that now every person on the planet understands what a supply chain is. I think we could all agree that looking back, you know, probably five, 10 years ago, no one, you know, the vast majority of the general population wouldn't understand, wouldn't have even thought what a supply chain is if you said the words to them. But now we can see how our lives depend on them and how fragile they are. So the crisis has proven the need for resilient supply chains that, and, and to achieve this requires digitization, automation, 
and artificial intelligence to improve the consumer experience. And this all being accelerated by consumers who are seeking a more safety conscious approach and seeking touchless virtual interactions where possible. Pooja, if I turn to you, um, and Brad talks eloquently about you know the, the supply chain there, it seems to me that large, complex global supply chains have been exposed as vulnerable during the pandemic. Are, are those vulnerabilities likely to be long-lasting? Uh, the vulnerabilities are uh, likely to be lasting for at least a few years. I mean, uh, at least in the short term, that's what I could say. And organizations need to adapt to to manage these kind of vulnerabilities. So what I could say is organizations are looking at diversifying suppliers and bringing production and suppliers closer to the key markets, which is which I spoke about is also on near shoring. Executives, so I can just quote the executives that were interviewed for Capgemini's uh, research institute acknowledge the vulnerability of their supply chains. We found that 42% of the organizations that saw major operational disruptions as a result of the crisis pointed to the inflexibility of the supply chain. And I've seen that in, in rea- reality, when I did work with some clients a year ago directly on their supply chain uh, problems, a year ago, I mean, that was the first year of the pandemic rather. Our survey also shows that organizations will increasingly reorganize their production and supply uh, chain networks in the new normal. So they need to reorganize, think differently, both from a process perspective and from the technology and uh, automation perspective. 40% of the executives expect uh, nearshoring of the production and 39% expect a change in supplier mix, such as nearshoring of the suppliers. So all in all, there is um, a vulnerability and uh, people need to work on it, the organizations need to work on it, and we need to find new ways of working. Again, I call this as a new normal. I'm intrigued to hear, Pooja, that you were on the front line, uh, you know, kind of client facing in in the middle of the pandemic as clients were, I guess, um, working hard to find how they can respond to these extraordinary situations. Did, did What role did automation play in those conversations with the client? So I did work with with a farm equipment manufacturer and uh, what role did techno and that was the first year of the pandemic, um, I think beginning of the pandemic. This client of ours needed help for first of all ensuring that part of their manufacturing is uh, carried out remotely. They needed to decide their remote locations. They needed to ensure that their IT systems or their IoT systems are reconfigured. So it was a huge job for, uh, I mean, and what we brought to them is our new normal way of working, our processes, our technology consulting or our process consulting expertise. And behind that, we also had our automation solutions helping them. So let's turn our attention now to the consumer. We've talked a little bit about the consumer up until mm-hmm. now. And when I say consumer, that's you, that's me and, and others who, let's be honest, were forced to change our, our day-to-day behaviour during lockdown, no matter where in the world we are. Brad, if I could ask you, what lasting effect will the pandemic have on the consumer and, and consumerism? Well, that it's a, it's a great question. The consumers are definitely changing their behaviour. We can see it in our own behaviours And being someone who's American who lives in the UK, I see this when I visit America, I see it in the UK, see it elsewhere as well. And some fascinating statistics are emerging from all this. 77% of consumers are saying they're more cautious about about cleanliness, health, and safety. And 
62% of consumers are saying they're switching brands to those that show higher levels of product safety. And 54% of consumers prefer local and regional products. Again, that goes back to some of the supply chain things we were talking about earlier. People are aware of supply chains and their importance and shortening the supply chain is good for everybody. Consumers are preferring safe and contactless procedure practices and procedures when they're shopping in stores. So we're seeing stores also making changes, the reorganization of store layouts to ensure social distancing and mo creating mobile-based self-checkout systems. And consumers, when they're buying things to be delivered to their houses, they're seeking that touchless last-mile delivery practice. So there are changes all throughout this, and I think those changes are lasting. In the short term, at least, consumers are spending more on essentials like groceries and less on discretionary items, and we'll talk about that later on. But importantly, consumers are focusing on sustainability, and what we're seeing, according to the reports, is 67% of consumers will be more conscious about conservation of natural resources, and about the same amount, 65%, are saying they're going to be more mindful in their purchase habits. So there are lots of changes, and I think these changes are here to stay. I saw that data too so from the Capgemini Research Institute report called The Consumer and COVID-19, which I think signals a, a different type of experience for employees, for customers, and, and even suppliers. So moving much more towards um, the digital online experience and a more caring consumer, it would seem, I guess the other side of that is, will the money be around to spend? That's a great question. Because what's happening and what we're seeing, according to the UK Institute of Fiscal Studies report, is that in higher in income households, where people have been able to maintain their employment throughout the two years of the pandemic so far, they've been experiencing something we might call forced savings, which is they don't have a place to spend their money. And they're saving more money. So they're accumulating wealth because what they're not doing is they're not going out on taking expensive holidays, buying fancy clothing, buying luxury items, doing various leisure activities because for through lockdowns and things, we haven't been able to do that. But on the other hand, you have lower income households, which are seeing a fall in, in income. And here we're seeing because of the rapid closure of what was deemed as non-essential services. So you're seeing restaurants and shops closing, uh, and that happened all quite quickly. The people working in those shops and, and restaurants and other similar types of facilities, were, they either had job losses or they were furloughed. But the what was shown in the report of this UK Institute of Fiscal Studies report was that higher income families were saving more, but the poorest fifth of families, of households, were having their monthly uh, expenditure or their bank balances were decreasing by 170 pounds per month. So that's about $250 per month between the months of March and September. So that's like 1,220 pounds going out of their, out of their um, bank account or otherwise, or else it's turning into debt. And this is and this really this challenge that there is just these two halves and some are doing better and some are actually doing worse. So what conclusions are to be drawn then? I guess there's both a technology answer and if I could term it as such, a human answer to that question. Pooja, what's your view technologically speaking? 
but technologically speaking i think automation will continue to influence a lot of the supply chains lot of the consumer behavior and technology means also transformation in terms of how it was being done from a both process perspective as well as from an implementation or a technology perspective examples of such could be you know in supply chain terms could be updating vendor records or even how we process uh, the invoices or how we uh, do ad- give advance shipping notices and so on and so forth and brad what do you think we can conclude from the people perspective well from the people perspective certainly there have been as we discussed this restrictions on people's lives have been imposed by the pandemic because you've got this social and economic divide between the haves and have-nots. And and this is a challenge for governments and a challenge for businesses. And when we're talking about businesses specifically, it's businesses who depend upon society for their markets, for their employees, to recruit employees, to, to have their employees having uh, meaningful and successful lives, and uh, for their suppliers. So businesses need to better understand the evolving consumer needs and consumers are coming to understand the critical pressures that drive and disrupt supply chains. So there's empathy that needs to happen on both sides. And I think that is starting to happen on both sides as well. As consumers start realizing the challenges of supply chains and businesses are starting to see, be more attuned to how do we meet these challenges that consumers are facing. Thanks, Brad. And we've we've come to the end of the, the podcast. I have one more question, and perhaps it's a, an unfair question, but to, to give our podcast listeners an upbeat, positive message as we leave this final episode, could I ask you both for your view, your prediction, dare I say, of the post-pandemic commercial landscape? Pooja, maybe we could start with you. So the post-pandemic commercial landscape, uh, at least from um, the technology or the automation side of it, is very uh, optimistic. I see um, this growing and we're seeing that the growth in our technology business, we're seeing the growth in our automation asks from the clients and the use cases that come for automation. The growth is is, is phenomenal and I'm, I'm uh, very happy to see a uh, uh, growth chart that continues to grow in the years to come to support the changes uh, that we need to do. And Brad? Well, for me, I think it's all about resilience. And it's about the resilience of people to adapt to the ever-changing pandemic menace. And we're seeing it evolve with the Omicron and with different challenges that we have around the world. And it's about the resilience of businesses to rapidly adjust to these needs. And consumers need businesses and businesses need consumers. So we're all learning to live with this. We're all learning to live with increased risks, with increased dangers in our lives. But I think one of the takeaways to think about for the future is that when someone take, when you look at the analogy of the end of World War I and the Spanish flu, this, which was a, an equal pandemic, what emerged when that all sort of ended was the roaring 20s. And I believe that what we'll start seeing is when this all starts being behind us, perhaps as early as 2023, we're going to see another roaring 20s going forward. And one of the things I'd like to leave people with is this one phrase from a Theodore Roosevelt speech that was made over 100 years ago. And in the speech, his phrase was, dare mighty things. And businesses need to take advantage of all the insights and technologies that we discussed today and start to dare mighty things. 
And with that, I believe that will get us to the Roaring Twenties more quickly. What a wonderful, optimistic, positive way from both Pooja and Brad. I think kind of you know great hope for for the future as we come out of this. Let me say thank you to Pooja Hawadkar, to Brad Borkin. Thank you for your time, your participation, and of course your very positive insight. That's it for this series of Automation Station. I would like most of all to thank you for listening. If you want to discover more about Capgemini's automation services, search for Capgemini Automation or visit www.capgemini.com and look for your particular industry on the dropdowns. To stay in touch, follow at Capgemini on Twitter, and why not subscribe now to this and other Capgemini podcasts using your favourite podcast platform. Automation Station was produced and edited by the Capgemini Max team, written and presented by me, Brian Doherty, with original music from Abishu Ratchet. <laughs>